now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, Force Five. Welcome to the Force Five podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we discuss our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today I'm joined by film student and film lover, Andrew Suazo. What's going on, Andrew? Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm um, just glad glad to be on here, glad to talk film, and uh, have an interesting conversation about five films that you'd never want to see again. In a bad way. In a bad <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, this, uh, this is fun. This is going to be a fun list. Um, so people have kind of a an idea of who you are. Film student. I mean, we don't need to know what school you go to, but what are you going to school for? Going to school specifically for uh, screenwriting and uh, editing. Those are the two things I, I love most in very different ways. A lot of screenwriting comes down to the editing aspect anyway, because you got to kind of shave it down to its like the the core idea and get rid of all the stuff that's not going to work. Definitely. It's a, you know, chiseling your marble piece. There's a lot of that. In terms of screenwriters, who are some of those screenwriters that you look up to? Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm a, I'm a Kaufman head. What can I say? I love that guy. Uh, You know, controversial works, you know, a lot of people say he's pretentious, this and that. I would say at times, yes, but man, but when he hits, he hits hard, you know. I love um the guy who did uh HBO's Watchmen. He worked he worked a bit on Prometheus, which is whatever, but he's great. And again, his name's slipping me right now. I I love this guy. I, I talk about him all the time. HBO's Watchmen, probably Damon Lindelof. Lindelof, yeah. I actually revisited the constant a because he was a he worked on Lost for a while. And yeah, that's considered like the best episode. Rewatched it with people who've never seen Lost. I convinced them like, hey, let's check it out. Wow. The Constant, incredible. Standalone, a man trapped out of time, which is funny because that's Dr. Manhattan. Like he's between time zones in his mind. So it's cool. He got to do that again later with uh, a God type character in Watchmen. So I, I, I like Lindelof. He's hit or miss, though. Saw The Hunt. That was like the last premiere before quarantine started. And that movie, like it was at the, not the dome, but it was at the Arclight. So that poster is like still up there because it was the last premiere and uh, bad. It was bad. I did not like it. Yeah. The the hunt was interesting. I, I enjoyed my time with it, but I don't think I would need to go back and see it. Yeah. The great, some great I, setups and premises and I, and concepts, um, but it was very simple. Like, you know, tough lady overcomes it all. Um, some liberal versus conservative stuff just thrown in there to build hype yeah but trump tweeted about it he was offended so that that, (laughs) that hype was through the roof people are like this is gonna be crazy well that's a win in my book if it pisses that guy off he definitely uh will never see it but it was was all right it was all right it reminded me of um battle royale yeah in a good way I, i love me some battle royale so speaking of uh, Battle Royale, which is one of my favorite movies, what are some of your favorite movies that wouldn't make this list today? Just so people kind of have a litmus test of what you like watching. Uh, well, my favorite film of all time is Akira. It's probably the only anime in my top 10, but I can go back to that any day of the week. Almost every scene is like a set piece, but not in like a blockbuster type set piece, but in a like, this is a 
transcending moment for either this character or this setting and uh it it really catches you off guard um you know it is very violent it's it's a sci-fi it's a beautiful sci-fi you know it's a cyberpunk film technically yeah but yeah that movie just blows me away it uh it it just really takes my breath away and that's that's a sign of a powerful powerful movie um the shining that's another takes your breath away movie where you're like man he did it they did it they they went there I love the thing, the remake, the eighty okay, the eighties remake, not the twenty. Yeah. I it's so confusing, but yeah, eighties thing, love it, love it. One of my favorites as well. Probably like top three remakes of all time. It would go there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and the original is great too, just in a different way. Well, your your list topic today was one that was very interesting to me, and that's five films that you can only watch once, and not because they're bad but because they're really, really good, but you don't want to watch them more than once. Yes, they, they definitely left an impact of not grossness, but definitely like it, it messed you up. Like you, you think back and you're like, maybe it gives you the shudders. Maybe it, uh, not in a horror sense, but definitely in a like, it got you to your core. Like, I can't go through that again. Like it was an experience, you know? Uh, on the, yeah. Maybe traumatic, you know? Depend, depending but a lot of these films we're gonna list off they got some pretty intense scenes some pretty gut-wrenching stuff that will drive you away from rewatching it but they're all good i don't think any of these films are bad i think that if i look at my list i think two of them two of them i really love i just i can't go back to them and it's gonna be fun to discuss those but first we're gonna talk about what we've been watching lately so I've brought a couple films to the table that I watched this week. I'm going to start with, let's see, I got one that I watched that was good, and I got one that I watched that was bad. So what do you want to hear about first? Let's go with the bad. Starting with the bad one. When you have a kid, sometimes you watch things that your kid wants to watch that you necessarily wouldn't normally watch. One of the things that he chose was a Marvel film. And I normally, I love Marvel films. This is one that is, it's called Marvel Superhero Adventures Frost Fight. I grow weary of waiting. Where is Yolnir? Where is your Santa Claus? Do you really think we'll tell you, Loki? That really would be ideal. Here's the plot of this film. The Avengers must stop Loki from stealing Santa's power. This is for it's, kids. This is for little kids. It's for kids, yeah. I'd say like 10-year-olds and down. Uh, they've also got this character named Reptile, who hmm. was in the comics, but later on, like after I stopped reading the comics, he was introduced, and he's this kid that can turn into a dinosaur. Which is just the worst power. I think he's definitely one of the worst Avengers. Yeah, kids would love that because kids love dinosaurs. So I see the strategic choice. Yeah, it was definitely a strategic choice. So here you have the Avengers who are trying to go up against Loki and this giant frost. It's almost like a troll. And they are trying to steal Santa's power. You have Rocket Raccoon in there with Groot fighting gingerbread zombies. That should be cool, is it not? That's probably one of the better scenes in the film. Aside from the scene, there's there's one really great scene where Hulk is trying to teach Thor about Christmas and like why we like Christmas. 
and the benefits of the season in terms of Christmas lights and gifts and and it's it's actually really quite clever because Thor is Thor is a foreigner you know he's from exactly Thor doesn't know any of this stuff he doesn't do they ham up like Thor's not dumbness but like his ignorance for sure yes it's it's not great it's not a serious movie so you know take that into consideration and it is a better Christmas movie than a lot of kids Christmas movies it's not one that I would watch by myself but if my kid has it on in the background I wouldn't be mad just for those two scenes, the gingerbread zombies and uh, Hulk trying to explain Christmas. I bet it was short too, right? Like 45, 30. It's actually just over an hour long. It's like an hour and 10 minutes long. The other plus that I will say is Mick Wingert does the voice of Iron Man and he's trying to do a Robert Downey Jr. And it really sounds close to Robert Downey Jr., which I thought was pretty cool. My wife uh, looked up a couple times and was very surprised that they got Robert Downey Jr. for this. And uh, I told her, no, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) They might as well have. So that was uh, Marvel Superhero Avengers Frost Fight. Uh, And that's from 2015. Yeah. So what about you? Give me something you've been watching lately. My friend and I, we like to um, do different franchises. Like we'll start at the beginning and just kind of plow through them. And uh, we recently have been doing Superman because it's on HBO Max. So we watched Superman 1 and Superman 2. Easy, miss. I've got you. you. You've got me. Who's got you? We're sitting on top of the story of the century here. Who are you? A friend. Superman. You are revealed to the world. But you still must keep your secret identity. Why? Your enemies will discover the only way to hurt you by hurting the people you care for. I don't know who you are. Just a friend from another star. Is that how a warped brain like yours gets its kicks? By planning the death of innocent people? No, by causing the death of innocent people. Mind over muscle. They can be a great people, Kalil. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. Wow, Superman 1. That is like two hours and like 40 minutes. And it feels like an hour. The effects, other than him like flying where it's like, yeah, the resolution behind him is, like, really low. You know, it's, like, yeah, green screen. But there's a scene in the beginning where he's, like, running past a train, like, the Flash, and it looks good. Like, there's really no irregularity in the footage behind him. Like, it, it looks so good. We were blown away. Like, maybe that was touched up for a Blu-ray release or something. But, damn, that looked really good. Um, You know, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor is great. He's awesome. Christopher Reeve, you know, I thought it was Christopher Reeves all these years, like pluralized, <laughs> but no, he's just Christopher Reeve, one Reeve. Uh, he, he's great. He's great at, as uh, in the role. The the gal who played Lois Lane was was awesome too. Superman one, solid, not the greatest, but it was like this is this is pretty good, pretty good movie. Um, exceeds its era. Also, the opening is so, you know, it came out in um, the late seventies. It's so drenched in. 70s disaster style hollywood films yeah like the the destruction of krypton is like this is like a scene from the towering inferno like 
this is some hellish imagery of this planet imploding and people like thousands of people falling into the planet core and it's like this is horrific what you're showing me marlon brando people say he phoned it in he was fine he did solid you know he probably yeah. phoned it in for part two where it's he's literally phoning it in like it's his hologram talking <laughs> which brings me to part two we actually seeked out the richard donner cut superman 2 the adventure continues with the three villains from krypton each one with the same powers as Superman. Each one dedicated to violence against mankind. Think of it. Three supervillains. Or four if you count him twice. The adventure continues in Paris with Lois Lane. I believe this is your floor. Richard Donner came back for part two, directed a whole film's worth of film. They got, got all the footage. Um, he had a falling out with the producers and he got fired and Marlon Brando left with him. So there's no Brando in the theatrical cut of Superman 2. It's Superman's mom he's talking to on hologram. And we had to seek out, uh, in quotes, uh, Superman 2 and we um, Donner cut. We found it and watched it and dug it a lot you know zod and his gang are just they're it's three supermen you know it's triple our guy you know it's their strong force that our hero has to overcome and of course lex teams up with them deadly alliance and every scene he's lex is with the zod gang they want to kill him because he's just a mortal they're like he's an ant but he keeps like talking his way out of getting murdered it's, yeah. it's it's hilarious and it's like you know it adds credibility to him as being a mastermind villain superman 2 rules um there there's a scene where zod and his gang just go through the white house and it watching it we were like this is where brian singer got that nightcrawler um white house scene from x-men 2 and it was refreshing because in most movies when villains take over the world they just they like don't show that kind of stuff it's like it already happened or they do like a highlight reel Man, they just drawn out scene of Zod and his gang going through the White House, getting what they want. And then the, the final thing I'll say about the differences between the Donner cut and the um, the director they got to replace him. In the Donner cut, the nuke from the first film that killed Lois Lane gets thrown into space. And that releases Zod and his gang from the Phantom Zone, that 2D glass dimension that they're stuck in. Right. In the theatrical cut... It's a elevator bomb from France that Superman just threw into space. And it's like, <laughs> what? So yeah, there's a whole Paris scene cut from the Donner cut that Lois Lane stuck in a bomb elevator in, uh, in the Eiffel Tower. And the final difference, which I have to bring up, there's an iconic scene from the theatrical, iconic in a weird and bad way, where Superman throws his S from his chest onto one of the, the Zod members, like the muscle. <laughs> And you heard me right. He doesn't rip the S off his suit. He grabs the S and it becomes a cellophane giant piece of plastic <laughs> that he throws at the muscle and it wraps around the muscle. He's wrapped in it and he freaks out and then disappears and he just looks up at Superman. And it's like, what the fuck did I just witness? What <laughs> was that? Is that in the comics? I don't, I don't think so. Which cut does that happen in? So that's in the theatrical cut. Okay. Not in the Donner cut. Wait until you see the disaster that is Superman 3. 
oh, I saw clips of it on TV as a kid, and I know it's bad, but I've seen part four with Nuclear Man. I don't think it could be as bad as that. Cool. Well, for a another dip into Nostalgiaville, I saw something else this week that I actually really like and did not expect to like at all. Did you grow up watching Saved by the Bell? Watched a bit of it as a kid, and it didn't do it for me because I guess like that wasn't my era. But what did you see? Was, was it like Showgirls or something with like one of the actresses <laughs> from that? Or no. So, well, I'll give you some background. To me, I've I grew up in the Saved by the Bell era. And so I watched Saved by the Bell. I've probably seen every episode of Saved by the Bell. And I never watched it saying like, this is a great show. But as a kid, I was definitely entertained. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know that Saved by the Bell had many different spinoffs. You had Saved by the Bell, the college years. You had Saved by the Bell, the new class. And now we have gotten a reboot slash sequel titled Saved by the Bell. Bell. Yep. Yo, Mama. Sorry, Dr. Mama. How do you think this year's gonna go for these new students? I'm psyched. You're excited for the first day of school? Let's go! Why is everybody so rich? Are you ready for my party Saturday night? I got DJ Khaled's baby to make you a playlist. It's okay. Time out. What is up with these kids? In attendance will be the governor of California. Max, Dad? You look amazing and your hair's fire. My dad's also coming. I don't care about your dad, Spencer. I just care about Zach and Kelly. We all want these new kids to feel welcome. Let's see what happens. Can we talk? Did you just sit backwards in a chair? Wow, I've never seen anyone do that in real life. It's not gonna work unless we get to know them. You only know how Bayside works for kids like you. Hot kids. Privileged kids. Privileged kids. The cool thing about this reboot, I thought it was going to be a disaster. And I watched the first episode, and I thought it was actually really quite clever and really good. And I saw this in an interview with the creator. The creator of this reboot said she watched the original Saved by the Bell and thought it was terrible. And they used that in this update. For example, Zach Morris was a terrible human being. Oh, yeah. And there's like a YouTube series about it. It's called like Zach Morris is the worst or something like that. He was. He was terrible. He never had consequences. And in this one, the very first scene is a political ad from Zach Morris, who is now the governor of California. Oh. And he is a complete idiot dickhead. <laughs> and they play that up. They play Whoa. that up. So the premise of this show is that his son goes to Bayside. He's a governor. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So he makes he has to make budget cuts. And one of the cuts that he makes is to the education system. Of course, he's not going to make budget cuts to the schools that are in the high income, high tax areas. He's going to make cuts to the low, the, the low income folks. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the he makes cuts so devastating that the schools in these low income areas can't function anymore. And then those folks have to go to school somewhere. So they're bust to Bayside High and these other wealthy areas in the Palisades. Oh, so you have kids from all over, like the new lead characters, I assume, are from these different schools? It's it's kind of a mixture. So you have two girls specifically from a low-income area, and they come to Bayside. And when they're introduced, it's very normal looking. It looks like most TV shows would. And as soon as they step into Bayside, it's very well lit, very super 90s inside. And they're basically walking into the school saying, what the hell is going on here? Everybody in Bayside is living this very superficial, very 
unrealistic life and they walk in from a completely different walk of life saying, this is not how things are supposed to be. It's that juxtaposition of Bayside was trash. This is real life and how those things mix. And then you also have characters from the old Saved by the Bell that have made cameos. So like, for example, Elizabeth Berkeley, who played Jesse on the show, she's the school guidance counselor. Nice. And then you've got AC Slater played by Mario Lopez, and he is the gym teacher. And it's pretty well written. So if you were interested in Saved by the Bell, or if you watched the old Saved by the Bell, I would definitely give this a chance. You can watch the first episode for free on Peacock. It seems like something I'd want to watch again and again, unlike the films on our list today, which are films you only want to watch once. Yeah, let's get into your number five, Andrew Suazo. What's number five on your list of movies you only want to see once? Let's start off this list strong. Number five, Cannibal Holocaust. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good Lord. It's it's unbelievable. It's, It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer with the almost profound respect these primitives have for virginity. It's about a film crew going out to this desolate like country to film to do a documentary on this tribe and then it all goes south like they just get attacked and uh, everything goes to shit. You know, this film is notorious for being like one of the first found footage movies for using like real gore, you know, shot on location. They, the people making it had to like pay off tribes and local militias to like not get attacked and stuff like that. It's a, it's a doozy of a movie, but you know, it's not the violence against people that gets me in this movie. Like most, like it does for most people. It's the violence against animals. Like there's a scene of them ripping a turtle's like head apart with this with his thumbs like a tribal person and i don't know why but for some reason that i'm just like i can't i can't do this i can't do it i've never seen animal gore stuff and that was real animal gore stuff that they shot for cannibal holocaust and so just personally like that just like i try to revisit this film got to that part i'm like nope can't do this (laughs) I don't think it's like that I don't have a thirst for gore, but like, man, like maybe I empathize more because that got me, man. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I haven't seen this film and I probably will never watch it. I know that there's an animal cruelty free cut that's like five minutes less of a runtime. Thank God. I'll have to, (laughs) if I'm curious, I'll have to seek out that version. Having seen movies like Green Inferno, I just have no real desire to see this movie. I believe this film had a lot of controversy because the gore in it against humans also looks so realistic that people thought that it was real at first. It passed the litmus test for back then, and it, it looks good. You know, it looks passable, looks looks very realistic. But that animal stuff, that's real, baby. That's a real, di- that's a real dead turtle. Well, there you go. Cannibal Holocaust from 1980. All right, uh, let's go. Well, I mean, you went with Cannibal Holocaust for years, so I guess I'll go with my, like, the one I would consider grossest on my list. Directed by Takashi Miike, and it's called Visitor Q. I could have picked a lot of Miike. I'm glad to hear you have another Miike on your list, because there were two others that I was thinking about, and I won't steal your thunder. Uh, 
I'll, I'll say them after you pick, after you reveal yours. There was a time in the early 2000s where I went through this like discovery period with Takashi Miike films. Mm-hmm. And this one has always left this weird, bad taste in my mouth. He was doing part of this ex- experimental film series where they wanted to see how how much they could do with just video. So it wasn't film anymore at this point yeah. for this experiment. And he came up with this film called Visitor Q that follows the lives of this really messed up family and this strange visitor who comes home with the father one day named Visitor Q. I think it's like the second or third scene in the film where he's introduced. And the father of this family is just sitting, like waiting for the train. And there's a little window behind him and Visitor Q, who's this really, he kind of looks like the one of the crazier dudes from Battle Royale. Right on like a Yakuza style dude, just kind of chilling in like a Hawaiian Like a Japanese punk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's standing on the other side of this window and they're both minding their own business, looking the other direction. And then he notices this father just sitting there waiting for the train and you see him bend down and he comes up with a giant rock. And the next thing you know, he just smashes the father in the head with this rock. And then in the very next scene, the father comes home with Visitor Q and he's like, hey, this is my friend and he's going to stay with us a while. What? What the hell? bizarre and it only gets weirder from there. It's listed (laughs) as a black comedy, but I think with the language barrier, because it's Japanese, I think that a lot of the comedy is lost on me Mm -hmm. in the same way like certain films I'm sure would be lost on other cultures from the United States. So here, here's a list of some of the things that you're going to see in this movie. You're going to see the kid who beats his mother up with a rug beater because he doesn't like the toothbrush she got him. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're going to see that same kid getting beat up by school bullies while his father watches it and videotapes it. You're going to see scenes of exaggerated lactation sex in which... This, <laughs> now, that's funny. In which the mother is playing with her nipples to the point where it's raining milk in the kitchen and visitor Q's standing there with an umbrella underneath it. <laughs> That's like a live action anime scene. It injected very much this. feels like that, except it's shot in a more like documentary style. Yeah. And then finally you're going to see a man who has sex with a dead body and gets stuck inside because of rigor mortis. It's not one that I would recommend watching, but if you're, if you're really curious about like, how deranged Takashi Miike can get. This is a pretty good introduction to that. Yeah, sounds like it. I, I got to see this. Visitor Q. Visitor Q. It's like, if I was to ever do a top five list of like most fucked up families, this one would probably be number one. So yeah, that's my number five. Visitor Q from 2001. The the other two films uh, you were going to bring up um, for like Miike, you know, of early Mike era, not early, you know, he's made a hundred films, but of that era, the early two thousands, were you going to say itchy, the killer in audition? Yep. Oh yeah, dude. Itchy. I almost put itchy on my list. Speaking of audition, that's my number four. Nice. Yeah. Audition. This is a film that has a huge following. Um, like people just know of this movie. Like they know this is that messed up movie. It's the buildup. Like this, this director is looking for a new, a new wife or a new girl, and he has these fake auditions. You know what I mean? Like it's very of the industry. You know what I yep. mean? 
And so it has that, like, already going in, you know, like, there's some nefarious stuff going on here. But it's when this girl flips the script later in the film, there's a torture scene, you know. Um, and it's reminiscent of Misery, um, but goes so much crazier and further because, you know, he's he's tied up. He's laying down. It, you know, the rest of this film doesn't have gore. Yeah. So this scene hits so much harder, especially because it's near the end of the movie. And you're not thinking she's not going to do it, but you're thinking like, okay, this is a drama. You know, like this isn't a gross out movie, but then it is. It just does, <laughs> you know, uh, and she's so giddy about it. Like she's yeah. into it. She's into it. And it that's scenes in film where something messed up happens, but a character is enjoying doing it. You it it's grosser because of that, you know, like it gets under your skin more. You're like, ooh, like someone's getting off to this. And like, like, I feel even worse for participating in this, you know? Yeah. When I first watched Audition, I was almost all the way done with it. And I was thinking, this is not that bad. Yeah. Not a whole lot can happen from here on out because it's almost over. And then it goes absolutely insane for the last 10 minutes of it. It flips its genre. It flips the script. It goes so hard. And, and like I said, like it feels just like a drama or a thriller or something. And then it gets to that point. And it's like, this can be classified as horror. Um, this scene <laughs> in particular. And maybe it's like the buildup to the horror. But man. Anyway, uh, so I looked up this film and apparently it, it did okay in Japan. Didn't really make waves. Then it went to International Film Fest, and then it got huge praise. Like, people were really into it. If you haven't seen it, see it. Yeah, but it's I, a good movie. Yeah, solid. Mike rules. I, he did, doesn't really make bad movies. I'm, I'm sure he has. I wouldn't know. So that's uh, Audition from 1999. Yeah. My number four, let's go to the other one that I didn't like and don't want to see again. It's from <laughs> 1995, directed by Larry Clark, Kids. <laughs> The worst is sucking dick. I oh, oh, yeah. God. Maybe she when you in the eye and the ear and shit. It's like, yo. Yeah. You don't know what that seems to wear. No, man. man he's, that, he's that little thing in the tonsils, the tonsils or the esophagus, whatever. The hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything. You be gassing. You be gassing. How much more can you bob here? Yeah, you're knocking it out. Yo, you don't get shit out of this. No, but have you ever swallowed it before, though? No. Yeah, me neither. Of course. get that taste out of your mouth. Nah. I mean, the little sperm gets stuck in your teeth. It's so disgusting. I mean, you gotta sit down and eat a whole real meal. It stars Leo Fitzpatrick, Justin Pierce, Chloe Sevaney, and Rosario Dawson in like one of her very first roles. The entire movie is just about this bunch of... Uh, one of the other sick things is that they're like 12 and 13. Yeah, these are like... They're not even in high school. They give you context. Yeah, uh, they're 7th and 8th grade. Yeah, these are middle schoolers having sex. All they sex. do, all they do is have sex, take drugs, and then occasionally stomp someone's head in with skateboards. The other disturbing thing, like you alluded to, is that two of these 12-year-olds have AIDS. Mm -hmm. And one of them doesn't know it. 
And all he does, his entire goal is just to have sex with virgins. And he goes around trying to find these virgins. And one of the, there's, there's two girls, Rosario Dawson and Chloe Spania. One of the girls finds out that she has AIDS. It is entirely disturbing. And just the fact that it's 12 and 13 year olds and they're, they're uh, at the time, you know, they're no names. So it feels more realistic. It just feels like these kids. Yeah. It's the title, I guess, but it, it just really messed me up. And it's one that I don't think is a great movie, but I swear if they played this in schools, it would definitely help with safe sex. Having unknown actors. I love because you're not thinking about what they've been in. It's just like when it's unknowns, you're just, you're in. You're like, that's that character. Yeah. That's my you have no other preconceived notions. Yeah. That's the introduction to that face. They're that character. So, yeah, that's my number four kids from Larry Clark and Harmony Korean, 1995. Number three for you. This is from Gaspar No. I think everyone knows what it is. It's irreversible. I was introduced to Gaspar No through Enter the Void. And that's such a po- insanely powerful movie, especially with the first person. Uh, you call it a gimmick. I think he nailed it. So I was like, I'll check out his older films. Saw Irreversible. That like scarred me. The- <laughs> In case you listeners aren't aware, there's a like nearly 10 minute long rape scene. And I think it's like eight minutes and some change. That scene in particular. Yeah, it's long. And like we were saying earlier, when characters are, there's a really messed up scene and like the character doing the bad stuff is enjoying it. It, it, it like twists the knife in you, the viewer more like it hurts more in the rape scene. It cuts to the rapist and they're like grinning and like enjoying it. And it's like, get me out of here. This is hell. And it, it it's excruciating. It goes on so long. The scene succeeded because it sets up the rest of the movie of her like boyfriend and like the brother teaming up to get revenge on these fuckers who did this i tried to watch irreversible when it first came out and i just couldn't get past like the i couldn't get past the first 10 minutes it just Mm -hmm. i knew it was not going to be for me and like i said i i have limits and this is one that i've never wanted to go back to as much as people say it's a good movie i'm sure it is i just it's not one that i want to watch imagine seeing that in theaters oh i'm sure there were walkouts yeah I'm sure most of the theater would walk out. All right, on to my number three. We'll go with a movie from 2015 from S. Craig Zoller called Bone Tomahawk. Here's a uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. God knows what they're doing to her. Every second that we delay. You know who did this? I don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. I'm, I'm coming with you. No, no, I need you here. And this is what a backup's for, to help an emergency, not stay back. I'm coming. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding along and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trail or anything else goes in that direction. If our horses die before we get there, or we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, won't rescue anybody. Don't be scared. I am a friend. You aren't. Damn you! It's one that I don't want to see again because if you're familiar with S. Craig Zoller's work, he has at least one scene in every movie that will never leave your brain. He's also done um, 
dragged across concrete, mm-hmm. and he did brawl in cell block ninety nine. I've seen that in cell block ninety nine. You have a person getting their face dragged across the bottom of a cell. Yeah, and Gross. that's you know one thing you'll never forget. This the scene in this film. I don't want to spoil it for you since you haven't seen it, but it is one that. Oh my god, I I can't even describe it without saying anything. So I'm just is, gonna say it it's tomahawk related. Kinda. The the gist of the film is that there's this elderly sheriff and his posse, and they set out to rescue their town's doctor from these cannibalistic cave dwellers, or as they call them, savages. And they are indigenous people that have been accused of murdering and then eating people. But it's not that they murder them and eat them, it's how they do it. So I'll, oh, I'll leave that to uh, the imagination. It's a very dirty, very dusty movie. The implications alone are, is crazy. That's disgusting. It could be, it, it's how they do it and that's already messed up. Oh my God. It's how they do it. Specifically one scene, which once you watch it, just send me an email. Um, okay. It stars Kurt Russell, Matthew Fox, Patrick Wilson, Richard Jenkins, and Lily Simmons. It has a great cast. It's very well directed. It's a really good movie. And I think without that scene, I'd probably watch it multiple times. But that one scene just, oh, it gets me. I'll have to see this for myself. Bone Tomahawk from 2015. If you really want to cringe during a really good Western movie, that's the one. I'm in. I love Kurt Russell and Matthew Fox. You know, I mentioned Lost earlier. He's great in there. He's great in that movie. All right, on to your number two. For me, this is the original. Another iconic film. That's highly regarded, and that is Requiem for a Dream. Purple in the morning, blue in the afternoon, orange in the evening. Just like that. One, two, three, four. You know, somebody like you can really make things all right for me. You know what we need to do? We need to get us a piece of this Brody shit, cut it up, and off it. Double our money, easy. That's what I'm talking about, baby. No hassle. You just watch my back. I'll watch yours. On our way, baby. On our way. Hey, Ma, you want uppers? You don't know. I'm going to be on television. Gotta win. I'm somebody now, Harry. Everybody likes me. It's a reason to smile. Let's do this right, man. All I'm saying is we should take a little taste. We know much to cut. It's business. Fair enough. The reason I don't want to see it again is just so simple. And it's just like the subject matter itself. Every character's story in that movie goes so wrong in the worst ways possible. It's about addiction and the bad choices people make um, and the weird places there in their lives that uh, can facilitate that habit. And uh, like you have the mother who gets addicted to diet pills. Diet pills and TV as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm sure she was addicted to that long before those pills came around. You know, mm-hmm. she's just in retirement, just watching TV, fantasizing about going on this this show. Really depressing, like her imagination and what the pills do to her, it's really sad. Um, there's this, there's the the lady in the film. I, f- I forget the actress, but you know, she Jennifer starts Connelly. Doing, 
Jennifer Connelly, she starts doing unsavory things to procre- procure her drug of choice. And it, it hits harder when the person doing the bad shit is enjoying it. And she has to, like... Uh, <laughs> Tough to say without spoiling stuff. She has to do sexual favors for a character to get something. And that character is played by... Um, it's been a long time, but it's Keith David, isn't it? It's you're, you. Know, yep, you got it. He's in a lot of stuff. You know, he's in Rick and Morty. He's in he's in a ton of video games. He's in a ton of older movies. He's a voice actor now, prominently. He did the Marines ads, if you remember. Oh the yeah, few, the few, the proud, the Marines. Yeah, he's good. He's great. And yeah, he grins when that's off, like brought up to her, and it just shows his grin. Like the shot is just his grin, and it's all like, oh no get me out of here and then of course the main character now i could be wrong was that a young jared leto it is jared leto and uh marlon wayans in this film he nails it like being this desperate young dude like it opens with them wheeling his tv across town because he doesn't have a car to sell it for drug money with it with um, his wayan bro his wayan friend and it's like this fun adventure, and then they get it, and it's all like, oh, this is depressing. <laughs> yeah, very depressing. And there's a, you know, I will not spoil this. There's a scene near the end that happens to him. He loses something valuable to him, and it's so gory. Like, they show it. Oh, it's disgusting. It's gore. It is a gory scene. And then the implications of how he's going to live his life after this event. But it is a wake-up call for him to get his shit together. Requiem for a Dream, you know, feel-bad movie. I think that's safe to say a feel bad movie much in the way that kids is like I said kids could be used to promote safe sex. I think that this movie could be used in schools to show people the consequences of drugs and drug addiction. Yeah, you're completely right. If these films were shown in that context, it would deter a lot of people from from making bad decisions. Yep, that uh, definitely had the same impact on me. And this nearly made my list. That is Requiem for a Dream from the year 2000. And uh, speaking of kids in school, that's going to lead me into my number two. From 2003, Gus Van Sant's Elephant. Hey, Eli. You want some Jessica? This is, uh, this is not going to do it, these long pants. Everybody else is wearing shorts. What's the matter? I don't want to talk about it. Is a girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Since when? You didn't know that? No. Okay. Good question. What they do um, is that they will sit up in this higher energy state. Where are you riding? Oh, uh, this? Yeah. That's my plan. For what? Oh, yes. What are you doing? You got to don't come back. Hey, sir, don't go in. Sir, don't go in there. Don't trust me. Just don't go in there, please. Elephant is just a movie about regular high school kids played by regular high school kids, just like in the movie Kids. None of these actors were known at the time. And it just takes place on this regular school day. And it's the last part of their school day. But as they're going to school and dealing with boyfriends and girlfriends and taking photos and going to PE class, there's two students that are planning an attack on the school. This is a really interesting movie that plays with perception. 
So the title elephant comes from the elephant parable. And in this film, you have all these different perspectives of these kids, and you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what their motivations are. And it's even the same with the two villains, the two students who are going to attack the school. It's a movie with no heroes and no movie moments. And it also, yeah, it it teases uh, one of these like heroic moments and it goes horribly wrong. There's an ambiguous ending as well. I find it really hard to watch, especially because since 2003, there's been like so many school shootings. But this is filmed in a really realistic way, and it just rubbed me the wrong way when I saw it because it's so realistic. It's a good film, and it's really well done. It's just not one that I would ever want to watch again. This is a really grounded depiction of a school shooting. When I saw it, I only went in with, like, okay, Gus Van Zandt, and this is inspired by, heavily inspired by Columbine. Um, this film is more relevant now than ever. On to your number one. My number one is an animated film. It was worked on by Hayao Miyazaki and a few other animators who would later go on to create the iconic studio Ghibli. This film in particular is called A Grave of the Fireflies. You know, I've seen a lot of war films, and many of them are exciting or moving or dramatic or artistically effective. Uh, And a few of them actually reach you at an emotional level and not just at the action level. Uh, I was amazed the first time I saw Grave of the Fireflies to find that I was actually moved just about to tears by this film. Uh, You know, I think people who who don't know what to expect are going to be very surprised by it. So this film uh, has an emotional breadth to it uh, involving war and the kind of results of war and two victims of war uh, that is astonishing. It takes place before the nuke was dropped on Japan. It doesn't depict that, but it does depict fire bombings that did happen to them on behalf of, I believe it was the UK. This is just straight up collateral damage. Like they were just attacking civilians, like housing and stuff like that. And this film starts off and it's like, okay, this kid's doing his thing. He's got a future ahead of him. I don't even think you meet his parents. I think fire bombs happen. The town is ravaged. It's almost like a no man's land. Like everyone's just trying to help each other and everyone's split up. And and it's him and his sister. He's taking care of his baby sister and just trying to make things right for her. So she doesn't have to deal with this on an adult level. And she eventually has to because everything goes wrong. Um, You think it's going to get better and the movie just ends. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this is such an anti-war film in a good way, you know. It, it really shows you like, hey, this is the cost of war. Devastating. It's probably the most devastating movie I've ever seen. So it's Grave of the Fireflies from 1988. Yeah. I thought for a second when you said animated, you might be bringing up Watership Down. Oh, that's up there. That is up there. That is a that is a rabbit snuff film. <laughs> yeah, basically. I, I I was that that's one of my honorable mentions. Yeah, that's probably gorier. Like, there's rivers of blood in that movie. On to my number one. It's a documentary from 2008. It's called Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Boy About His Father. Charismatic. Opinionated. Really a good storyteller. He had a present. He had the worst possible gas. He's going to be a great doctor. 
Well, the phrase I was going to use had been full of life. Do you know who that is? Andrew. Why did Andrew get killed? I'm an only child, and I'll get around to why this is of any importance whatsoever. When I had to say, was my son murdered? And take that into your soul. And then to know how cold-bloodedly he was murdered. He wanted to break up with her. Oh, she said, that's it, then she was dumped again. And unfortunately, she made it to Canada before they could arrest her. On the afternoon of November 7th, 2001, my sister called to tell me that Dr. Andrew Bagby, my closest friend since the age of seven, had been killed. My name's Kurt, and I'm a filmmaker. Andrew appeared in every movie I made growing up. Jesus Christ, Kurt, what do you want? I mean, no, no, I just need, I'm, I'm just... I decided to make a movie to travel far and wide to interview everyone who ever knew and loved Andrew. I just got a call from Mrs. Bagby. The abbreviated version is that bitch uh, held a press conference and announced she's four months pregnant with Andrew's baby. They can't prove it until the child's born. If it is true, the Bagbys are going to sue for custody. I'm going to tell you just enough to sell it to you. So I think that best documentaries have a couple of different things. Number one, they have an interesting subject, but number two, they have a stroke of luck where some piece of information becomes available that the filmmaker didn't even know they had. And this film has that. So the very base story of it is this filmmaker, his name's Kurt Kenny. Kurt Kenny has grown up with his friend, Andrew Bagby. Their relationship goes to grade school. They made movies together. Like all of Kurt Kenny's first movies had Andrew Bagby in there. He was financing a lot of stuff for Kurt Kenny with money that he had saved up. Like they were best friends. And at one point, Andrew, against the better judgment of friends and family, he goes and he marries this woman named Shirley Turner. And there were some red flags about Shirley Turner already. She had been married twice. She was 13 years older than Andrew. At one point, he he basically tells her he wants to divorce. He wants to split up. She's from Iowa, so he puts her on a plane to Iowa, and he basically says, you know, you need to, you need, we need to split up for a little while so we can work this out. That night, she rents a car, drives all the way back to Pennsylvania, where they live, tells him that he, she wants to meet him in a parking lot, and then the next day, he is found dead. She flies up to Canada, because she's now a suspect in this murder, and while she's in Canada, she reveals she's pregnant with Andrew Bagby's son, Zachary. Jesus. This, uh, this director, Kurt Kenny, decides, I'm going to make a documentary for Zachary. And it's just going to be stories about his father. Like, I'm going to interview people. And it's, it's just going to be a celebration of Andrew's life. Now, at the same time, Andrew's parents fly up to Canada to move to Canada because they are going to try to get custody of Zachary. About 30 minutes, um, 30, 45 minutes into this film, it turns into something completely different. And it fucking ruined me. Just don't read anything more about it than what I just said in terms of the premise. It will definitely affect you. It has affected real life change. Canada enacted some laws because of this documentary. Uh, there's actually a, a follow-up mini documentary on YouTube from Kurt Kenny, the the director, which kind of ties up some loose ends from the film. Yeah, it's by far my favorite documentary of all time, but I will never watch it again. 
Oh my god. Um, what's it called? Is it have Zachary in the title or Andrew? It's called Dear Zachary: A Letter to a Boy About His Father. Okay. It's from 2008. Oscilloscope put out a Blu-ray of it, like a 10th anniversary remastered Blu-ray of it. Yeah. Uh, that goes on sale f- every once in a while, but if you can't find it there, it is available to stream on on uh, Amazon Prime Video. Cool. It's a really powerful documentary, and it's also very well edited. It's one of the best editing jobs that I think I've ever seen on a documentary. It's really great, but not one that I want to see again. Dear Zachary, a letter to a boy about his father from 2008. Wow. That Visitor Q and Bone Tomahawk. I, uh, I'll get back to you on those. Yeah, Visitor Q I don't really recommend, but the other two <laughs> I definitely think are good, well, great movies. Just one has the one scene that I can't watch again, and the other has the second half, which I don't want to watch again. All right, cool. I mean, that's our list. You got a lot of things that if you haven't seen and they intrigued you, you're probably not going to watch more than once. Andrew, what do you have to plug, man? Like, what do you what do you want to talk about that people need to see, listen to, watch? I review movies on Letterboxd. It's in case you haven't heard of it. It is it is like the Instagram of reviewing movies. Um and it's it's an app it's a website it's concise it's simple it's to the point and it's fun you know you could do a really long in-depth essay or you could do a two-minute like goof review it's a lot of fun it's interesting it's it's interesting who comments on your stuff like film heads that looked for that movie and just read reviews and got to yours and then they'll comment whether they agree or disagree and the back and forth is very interesting because it's film heads, you know, it's people who are really into these movies that you are uh, you're reviewing. Yeah. And so my letterboxed is Swazimoto, S-U-A-Z-I-M-O-T-T-O. And while we're on that, that is my Instagram. Follow me on Instagram if you want to laugh. But in terms of like good content you should seek out, I would say check out Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen. It's uh, probably one of the best shows I've seen in years since like true detective season one cool go watch watchmen uh if you want a little bit more on that i talked about that with lewis logic on uh my show with him lately i've had a lot of shows with notable guests on but the heart of this show has always been to just talk interesting movie topics with strangers and that's how andrew found his way onto the show he went on to the website submitted a form and we made it happen so if you want to talk about a top five list with me on air Email me at force5podcast at gmail.com or head to that website, force5podcast.com, for the show request form. Today's new intro and outro music was produced by Nate Spears from the Trash Podcast. So I wanted to shout out to him. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some of these movies, but only once. Mm-hmm.